Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, the NHS and Palantir explained. You may well have seen news reports that US data firm Palantir Technologies Incorporated is set to win a £480 million contract along with professional services firm Accenture to handle the new federated data platform for the health service. On the face of it, this looks like a positive for patients. The new platform is designed to facilitate information sharing amongst hospital trusts and other parts of the NHS, enabling them to communicate more efficiently. No more having to repeat your past medical history every time you see a doctor, for example. But Palantir's involvement has caused real concern. The company has worked with the CIA and other intelligence agencies on what critics describe as mass surveillance programmes. Its Trump-supporting co-founder, Peter Thiel, has been an outspoken critic of the NHS, suggesting that British taxpayers have fallen victim to Stockholm Syndrome. We've fallen in love with something that imprisons us. We're going to hear from Max Colbert, who has chronicled Palantir for the Byline Times, Dr Jenny Tennyson, who's Executive Director of Connected by Data, which is a campaign to ensure communities have a powerful say in decisions about how their data is used, and Hope Worsdale. Hope is a spokesperson for Just Treatment, a patient-led campaign working to ensure people in the NHS come before corporate profits. Max, I want to start with you because you've written about Palantir a lot for Byline Times. And before we get into those concerns, let's talk about this federated data platform. Because as I say, on the face of it, it seems like a good thing. The NHS potentially being able to work more efficiently as a result of its introduction. Yeah, and that's all well and good if that actually happens. This isn't the first time this has been tried. Previously, we've seen $12 billion spent on the NHS National Programme for IT, which was shut down in 2011, $8 million spent on care data, which was cancelled in 2016, and most recently, the GP data for planning and research, which was left because of massive opt-outs. And there will continue to be opt-outs due to lack of kind of trust in this system going forward. Specifically, Palantir's involvement has raised a lot of concerns among people, partly because of the lack of transparency over the procurement process, partly because of the history of working with police, border patrol, spy agencies, a history of alleged involvement in scandals. The potential problems are maybe two-pronged. One is an issue of trust and one is an issue of practicality. Will this work? Will this actually help patients? Jenny, we've seen the NHS spending a lot of money on data-driven solutions. One thinks of test and trace, for example, during the COVID crisis. But we live in the digital age. It's got to make sense, hasn't it, for the NHS to seek digital solutions that may make life much more efficient for patients and for the NHS itself, potentially seeing where beds are available, freeing up space so that more patients could be treated. Absolutely. And we at Connected by Data, along with Just Treatment, have recently been talking to patients about the way in which health data gets used. And everybody really wants health data to be used for public benefit, medical research, helping the NHS to plan better, as well as for their own medical care. The issue with this particular platform is that they don't trust Palantir to be able to do that in a way that protects their privacy. 
or to do that in a way that's actually fair on the basis of good use of public money and good return for public data. So they're worried about the value exchange that is going on between the public sector and the private sector in the delivery of this platform, very much behind the idea of it and what it could be, but how it's actually being delivered and how it has been procured is really raising concerns in people's minds. Okay, well, let me take those two issues as separate ones. I'll park Palantir for a moment, but let's talk about the use of the data. If my data is anonymized and is then used, for example, to help health firms investigating particular conditions to seek treatments and cures for those conditions, is there a problem with that? There are two kinds of levels of concerns that people have. There's the bit that is I'm concerned about the way in which this specific data might be used against me. So how my travel insurance might be affected if a travel insurance company finds out about this health condition that I have or how my employment might be affected if they find out I'm HIV positive, those kinds of things. But then there's also the kind of moral sense of ownership over data that arises from our interactions in the world and our interactions around the health system. And even when that is anonymized, even when those identifiers are stripped out, then people still feel a kind of moral ownership, a sense of ownership over that data and wanting it to be used for ethical purposes, for public good, for all of those kinds of things. And the concerns are about how that might be used simply to extract lots of private profit as opposed to returning to public benefit. So just anonymization doesn't actually tackle that moral, ethical standpoint that people have over the use of public data. And do we know if the data that is collected under the federated data platform will be made available for private sale or will we as patients have an opt-out if we want to keep it only for philanthropic purposes, should we say? You have a right to opt out if your data is going to be used for anything other than direct care. And the Federated Data Platform will involve an element of research and development, supposedly. And so it raises huge questions as to whether or not this is legitimate in the first instance, and a huge lack of transparency about what this means in practice for patients. Hope from Just Treatment. Have you got a thought on that? Just jumping off what Max was saying, there's a huge amount of confusion over the opt-out, and that's because of the way that the government has handled this. They have literally flip-flopped, as in there was a page of official guidance that was put up in August that talked about an opt-out. People have made assurances to certain committees about there will be a way for people to opt-out. Then that suddenly changed not so long ago, and actually now we see that the opt-out is not at all what people thought, and that the main thing that people will be able to opt-out from is the medical research and planning aspect. And from the patients that we work with and the patients that we speak to, there's a huge amount of confusion there. A lot of people don't know how they go about opting out. Many people believe that if they do opt out, that means that their data will not be stored in the federated data platform at all, which is obviously hugely misleading. And I think for us, it keeps coming back to this key issue of trust, which has already been spoken about. For a public health service to work 
well and to keep people safe and to keep people healthy, trust between patients and the health service is just absolutely central. And the way that the government have gone about this and the lack of information, the lack of reassurance, the lack of seeking informed patient consent and patient consultation in the development of the plans just means that the trust is at an all time low. And we're really, really worried about the impacts that that will have for how patients choose to engage in NHS services going forward. Jenny has talked about people desiring their information in some cases to be used for non-profit related purposes. But do you think most patients mind about that? Don't patients simply want to get better? Will it affect patient care if their data is sold? Something that has come out very clearly from the survey that we've done with our supporters and from the patients that we work with is that People are not anti-data and anti-technology in general within the health service. They understand, and we all understand, that data and efficiency of the technological systems and all of this stuff is really important. And I think patients feel a lot of frustration with some of the ways that the health service is currently run in terms of data management and sharing. But people, I think, recognise that there is a big role for technology and for different ways of doing data management. But They want to understand how it works and they want to feel that they have a say in how it works. And I think that that is actually something that's really important to patients. As Jenny mentioned, the nature of this data, it's the most personal data you can really imagine. There's some patients that we work with saying, I share stuff with my doctor that I literally wouldn't share with my family, for example. So you can completely understand why there's this extremely heightened sense of people wanting ownership over that. I think the other concerns that we've heard from patients in Hope's Network is the fact that the information that they share with doctors and health services might be used in these ways that they don't agree with could also have an effect on how they feel about sharing that information. And that's one of the things I'm really worried about, that as trust diminishes, it actually will stop people from seeking medical care when they need medical care if they're worried about the way in which that data might be misused either at an abstract level around private sector benefit or as Palantir kind of reaches into other aspects of government service delivery, how it might affect their benefits, for example. So as we see this kind of increasing datafication of the way in which government is providing services, there is a risk that data leaks from NHS into education, into benefits and elsewhere. And we're already seeing that in part around education and health being linked together. So it is a a risk that is worth thinking about. Just one more thing that I was going to add, which I think is an important point to make, is that these all these concerns and these perceptions that people might have about what might happen in the future and further down the line, it's very likely that at least some of these concerns are going to be more or less legitimate than others in terms of what we know about what definitely will or won't happen. And there's a lot of question marks around that. It might be that some patients have concerns that are actually quite unlikely to manifest But the key thing is, it's the government's responsibility to reassure people and to kind of tackle that. They have not done that at all. So the government or Palantir might turn around and say, oh, no, of course, this isn't going to happen. We wouldn't do this. We wouldn't do that. But the point is, is that trust, it affects people on a very deep level. And it means that people, 
even if they don't know exactly what's going on, they might have some kind of like fears and those fears will manifest in real world ways, i.e. the way people will choose to speak to their doctor or the way people will choose to access services. And that's on the government. When you run a process like this, bringing people with you is just so fundamentally important and they've completely failed time and time again. They've had so many opportunities to provide the reassurances that doctors and patients and campaigners have been calling for and they've just failed to do it. So this lower level of trust is entirely their fault. Max, people on the left are mistrustful of Palantir because of their very wealthy founder, Peter Thiel, who supported a number of right-wing causes, including backing Donald Trump. Not everybody in Palantir, it should be noted, agrees with his comments about the NHS. But do you think that's what drives the animus against Palantir, the fact that people on the left just don't like Peter Thiel? I'd say that there are legitimate concerns with the politics of Peter Thiel that are perhaps separate from Palantir as a company. There are also, in Palantir's history, reasons to view them with a degree of scepticism. They make quite a point to say that they aren't the ones that are going to be selling data, they aren't the ones that are going to be doing anything on their own with data, but it's more what they will do at the behest of anyone that really asks them to. They're happy to work on mass surveillance projects for GCHQ and the NSA. They are happy to work for ICE, border security in the US. They would dispute the term predictive policing, but they are happy to work on those kind of projects in America. Historically, their first kind of introduction in terms of scandal as a company was probably a project called Team Themis, which was a consortium agreement between three private security firms to essentially spy on journalists sympathetic to WikiLeaks at the behest of Bank of America. Now, this was released via a bunch of leaked documents from one of these firms, HB Gary. They distanced themselves from this scandal and then had to apologise for it by saying we had a lone employee that was involved in this and then said, actually, we're sorry, we wouldn't do this again. Whether or not they would engage in that kind of activity going forward now that they're much bigger, now that they're much more well-known is disputable. But historically, yes, they are more than willing to undertake more or less any job given to them by government. So in terms of the NHS, Alex Cobb recently has come out and said it's not our job to sell data. We wouldn't do that. But he did caveat that with that would be the British government that did that. Then you have Michelle Donnellan, who then came out and said, we're not in the business of damaging people's data privacy, and we're not going to start selling people's private data. And then again, added the caveat of without consent. And so it comes back to this issue of how is consent given, how to opt out or even know what it is that they are consenting to. Palantir, in that sense, could be seen as a tool as opposed to a rogue company, if that makes sense. And I think that those are legitimate concerns separate to the politics of Peter Till, he's a libertarian. He has no interest in the NHS. He has no, he doesn't believe in it. While they are separate issues, I think they could be considered linked in the sense that if the British government wanted to start selling patient data, Palantir would happily facilitate that. Well, obviously, that's a, a supposition. For people who don't know about Team Themis, essentially it was a campaign to discredit Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks founder, Glenn Greenwald as well, a US journalist, the editor of The Intercept. When you talk about mass surveillance, you're talking about Palantir's willingness to help security agencies to analyse mass social media traffic. Just so we're clear, they're not responsible for spying on individuals, but they help intelligence agencies analyse social media data in broad terms. Yes, there are tools built by GCHQ and the NSA. 
patent to essentially help those projects work more efficiently. In the US, the project would be called XKeyScore, so they built a bolt-on for that called XKeyScore Helper. And in GCHQ, it's a similar sister project called Tempura, which they built a bolt-on for called Kite. But again, they aren't doing the surveillance, they just build tools that would help this move along more smoothly. There's one more aspect of Palantir's operations that I think causes concern, and that's the way in which it's won these kinds of contracts, in particular, the way in which it offers services for free in a trial period. And then once it's kind of got its feelers into a particular organization that becomes reliant on them, then starts charging money for it at quite extreme rates. And there was a recent National Audit Office report into the Homes for Ukraine scheme that highlighted that the government's chief commercial officer had actually warned Palantir about their approach of offering free or nominal cost trial periods for their services. And that's exactly what they did during the NHS COVID-19 pandemic. But that means that our system of open competition in public procurement gets undermined by those kinds of practices that Palantir has around getting into public sector organisations. I come back to the potential gain here. So I'm quoting from Professor Sir Stephen Powis, the medical director of NHS England. He recently blogged that the new platform will enable NHS organisations to bring together operational data currently stored in separate systems to support staff to access the information they need in one safe and secure environment. That could, he said, relate to the number of beds in a hospital, the size of waiting lists for elective care services, or the availability of medical supplies. And I don't know about you, Hope, anybody who's used the NHS, wonderful institution though it is, will be familiar with gaps in knowledge between one part of the NHS and another. And technology which can improve that, and if we're talking here about a proven technology company who are trusted with the secrets of intelligence agencies, maybe that'll be a good thing for the NHS. Time will tell. And as we've said, patients recognise and feel in their everyday lived experience a lot of the issues that the NHS is facing. And I think are very open to the idea that technology can play like a really important role in that. But for us, as I said, it keeps coming back to the way that you go about doing that. And if a patient might not benefit from some of those potential outcomes from the uh, federated data platform, if they have such a low lack of trust that they choose to actually not engage in NHS services in the way that they would have done before. So we have to look at the whole picture here, not just at the technological capabilities of the platform and what that might do, but also the kind of like wider political and cultural ramifications, really, and how that will change the way that people use the NHS. And I also think, I mean, I'm not an expert in this area, but I know Foxglove, who we've worked closely with, have done quite a lot of work around trying to uncover more about some of the failed Palantir pilots that have happened across the country. And again, it just seems to be very shrouded with opacity, like you can't really seem to find out that much information about why certain pilots have failed. And so, yes, Palantir have lots of experience in this area, but I think there are also big questions that have been raised along this process that have just kind of been met with silence, basically, from the government. And as you he said the same with the procurement there were other potential bidders for this that never even got a look in there was a consortium of uk-based organizations separate from palantir that wanted to bid for this and they never even got their foot in the door and again no explanation was given to the public as to why again comes back to the trust and transparency uh, point and what that then does for how patients relate to the nhs 
And Palantir specifically don't have a history in health data, whereas some of the other people in this consortium did. I think eight out of the 36 trusts that have trialled this have raised concerns with it already. People at the BMA, the Doctors Association and various patient groups, they all object to this on principle of whether or not it can actually deliver. Palantir are good at certain things, but they have no history in this and they haven't, as far as I'm aware, provided a working plan that is accessible to the public that lets people know that they actually have the ability to do this in any kind of meaningful way. They are good at data integration, but data integration doesn't necessarily help in direct patient care at all. There's been no proof of that yet. And Jenny, they do appear to have some very powerful friends. According to the New York Times, they hired a consultancy firm called Global Council, former Tory health minister Nicola Blackwood, Matthew Swindells, former deputy chief executive of NHS England, have been reported to be lobbying on their behalf. Yeah, there are various rumours swimming around about how Palantir might have won this contract. I think what I'd like to turn to is actually where the opportunity is here, because one of the features of the federated data platform is that it's federated. And that means that every NHS trust and every integrated care system is going to have to decide whether and how to integrate this platform into the way in which it works. And that gives a big opportunity for those organisations to have a proper conversation with their local communities about the degree to which they should adopt this platform, what it should be used for, what kind of safeguards and governance controls should be around it and so on. So I think that we have to go forward feeling still a sense of empowerment around the way in which this might still be controlled through NHS trusts and ICSs deciding whether and how they adopt this platform. Really been fascinating to hear from all three of you. Thank you so much for your time. You've heard from Dr. Jenny Tennyson from Connected by Data. She's the executive director. We've heard from Hope Worsdale, spokesperson for Just Treatment, and Max Colbert, who you can read in the Byline Times, whether you buy the newspaper, now available at selected outlets, and of course available via subscription, also online at bylinetimes.com or via our substack, the Byline Supplement. This podcast was produced by me, Adrian Goldberg, and Harvey White in Birmingham by We Bring Audio for the Byline Times. You can support our work on the podcast by taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. Get more details about how to subscribe over at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Thank you very much indeed for listening. We'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.